My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Hannah Shafi, also known as Frizzkid. As anyone who has been paying attention lately can attest, The internet has not lived up to the breathless hype that it received in its early years as an inevitable incubator of democracy and freedom. However, while the organized trollery and far-right infrastructure building of a subset of angry white men may have grabbed the biggest portion of mainstream attention, there is also a new generation of creators making a very different kind of use of the online tools they've grown up with. Young artists, writers, poets, videographers, musicians, and photographers, many of them marginalized along one or many axes, have been finding ways to use these tools to refuse silence, to speak truths, to heal harms, and to mobilize for change. Hannah Shafi started writing poetry as a kid. A little later, she took up drawing. And when she went to university, it was in a journalism program at Ryerson in Toronto. Along the way, she took up feminist politics, just, she says, as an act of survival while navigating the world as a young woman of color. After she graduated in 2015, she decided to make a go of it as a freelancer. She placed pieces in venues that you would probably recognize, and she even managed to snag a National Magazine Award nomination. But freelancing is hard, thankless, and underpaid work. And at a certain point, she realized that what was really making her happiest was her art. So she began to put more of her energies in that direction under the handle Frizzkid. To a significant extent, it was social media that made this transition possible. It has given her a way to reach people, to build an audience, and to cultivate other online and offline opportunities. The work that she is most widely known for, and that has become a weekly online series for her, focuses on affirmations. Not the empty positivity of greeting cards and posh lifestyle magazines, but something more substantial that speaks to a much wider range of lives and struggles. She pairs relatively simple illustrations with a range of uplifting and affirming messages related to surviving sexual violence, to addiction, to body positivity, to mental health struggles, and to much more. The goal is not to convey some sort of look-on-the-bright-side denial of oppression, but to offer people moments of recognition, understanding, and compassion as they continue to fight. Much of her illustration beyond the Affirmation series is in a more aesthetically challenging style, a sort of hyper-detailed, surreal line work reminiscent of underground comics. She's also developing her painting practice in a similar vein. Often, this work is meant to push back against colonial and misogynist beauty standards by being deliberately discomforting to viewers, even grotesque. Thanks to her visibility on social media, she has been able to find paid commissions, often from feminist and LGBTQ organizations, and in September 2018, she published her first book, called It Begins With The Body, published by Bookhug Press. It combines poetry and illustrations in a raw, honest, and feminist coming-of-age narrative. 
Of course, none of this is easy, even just making a living doing this work. As well, real-life art spaces are often hostile to outspoken young women of color, community-based venues in Toronto that provide support are increasingly closing due to gentrification, and the online world can be a cesspit of negativity, deliberate targeting, and theft of creative work. And yet, she does not hesitate for a moment. She navigates it all by actively aligning herself with other outspoken women of color and non-binary people of color, she refuses to be small and quiet, and she continues to use the power of online connection to speak loudly and to touch lives in a way that, a generation ago, would have been inconceivable. I speak with Shafi about her art, her poetry, and her feminism. I am Hannah Shafi. I'm an artist and a writer. I illustrate under the name Frizz Kid, and my first book came out in September 2018, and it's a book of poetry and illustration. I went to school for journalism. I went to Ryerson, and I guess I just found that the main thing that was making me happy was art. It kind of got to the point where I just really felt unhappy doing anything else. After I graduated and I was freelancing as a journalist, I very much went through a period of major underemployment, not really making a lot of money from freelancing. So it just became this really draining, thankless work. And because that wasn't working out for me, I was sort of forced to reconsider my options and think about what I really wanted to spend my time doing. A lot of the things that I started to create early on in my arts career could very much be categorized as almost like feminist protest art. So I feel like a lot of my drive for creating was making things that had inherently feminist messages in it, whether it was about body positivity or it was about making affirming messages for survivors of sexual violence, or it was just about plain and simple combating misogyny. Picking up feminist politics is mainly just an aspect of my survival. I think that I have a politicized identity, whether I want to have one or not, as a woman of color. And for me, trying to understand feminist politics was me trying to understand my own autonomy and capabilities and sort of the treatment that I deserved. So I feel like it was just kind of a matter of instinct and survival. Tell listeners about your art. One of the big things that I'm known for is I make a lot of affirmation art. It's kind of become a weekly series. The affirmation art was kind of a way to create affirming and uplifting messages that were accessible to people, that weren't just kind of your typical white upper class positivity rhetoric that doesn't actually work for most people. Initially, when I started the affirmation series, it was a way to make survivors of sexual violence feel heard, feel believed, feel validated. And then it branched out into covering a number of issues, affirming messages around body positivity, affirming messages for people who are dealing with mental health struggles, people who are relapsing, people who are having difficulties recovering from trauma. Definitely a lot of the affirmations are very much catered to the mental health struggles of marginalized people, but they're also fairly universal messages, right? I mean, when you're talking about mental health, mental health certainly can affect anyone, but we know that marginalized communities face higher rates of mental health issues. Many in their face were just a burden of systemic oppression every day. So it was really important for me to make art that was 
uplifting to marginalized peoples without being sort of like belittling and condescending and telling people to just look on the bright side, which is kind of a pointless thing to say. Probably the one that's the most well-received is the one that went viral and kind of gave me a stepping stone to actually launch my arts career. And that was a piece I had made that says healing is not linear. And that's a pretty common phrase used by a lot of therapists, addictions counselors, psychiatrists, so on and so forth, to just kind of remind people that healing from trauma or whatever you're healing from is a really bumpy process and doesn't necessarily follow a straight line. You know, we relapse and bounce back and we fall down and we pick ourselves back up. So that was one that was received really well. Another one that I did recently that was received well was I just did a really simple affirmation piece that said, you're not a bad person for having an addiction. Just because I find people with addiction are increasingly demonized, and especially right now with the Ford government shutting down funding for overdose prevention sites and this rhetoric of like, oh, if you're addicted, it's your fault and you're terrible. I really wanted to fight back against those ideas and show that people struggling with addiction are not bad people and absolutely deserve dignity and respect and help. So that was another one that was really important to me and that was received really well. And then I have one that just says all bodies are good bodies and it's just a diverse representation of different bodies showing fat bodies and hairy bodies and disabled bodies and gender non-conforming bodies and just kind of affirming that there is no such thing as a bad body and that kind of idea is something that's force fed to us in advertisements and magazines and billboards, but it's really toxic. And with your affirmation art, when someone encounters it who relates to the theme, who's having a bad time in some way, how do you hope they take it up and what impact do you hope it'll have? The biggest thing that I wanted to do is give them at least one moment in the day of just understanding and the compassion that they deserve. I like when my art lifts people. I like when it gives them the energy to continue doing the awesome radical work that they're doing. I hope that it'll be a pick-me-up when they're burnt out and, you know, encourage them to continue fighting, continue being awesome, continue speaking their truth, continue being subversive. There's so many different reactions that people could get out of my art. And even if it's just, yeah, one moment in the day that makes them feel good, I hope that people are doing that. And what kinds of things do you hear back from people in response to the affirmation art? I get a lot of messages of people just being like, oh, I really, really needed to see this today. Or, you know, this came at the right time for me. Sometimes people do disclose some very personal things about mental health struggles or leaving abusive relationships and things like that. And obviously, I'm really happy that my art can be a part of something uplifting and freeing for them. So it's really surreal getting those messages. I think it's just a matter of my art perhaps showing up in their day at the right place in the right time. It means a lot to me when people thank me for my work and tell me that it's helped them through something or that, you know, they want to share it with someone that they know who's going through a difficult time or that it made them feel better about something that perhaps they were ashamed of. You know, some of my art is these really simple messages and people are like, oh, wow, I've never heard this and I really need to hear that. That kind of makes me sad. It tells me that we're living in very difficult, very politically volatile times, very hyper-capitalist times where people feel overworked, unappreciated, in constant competition with each other, in a constant state of despair or worry about their futures. So I think it says a lot when you say like a really simple positive message and it has such a massive impact on people simply because they've never heard it before. 
And so, yeah, I'm glad to provide that, but it's also bittersweet because it tells me that people aren't really hearing these messages anywhere else. Like if I make an image and I'm celebrating different kinds of bodies and people are like, oh my God, wow, this is amazing. It's kind of a bummer that they've never seen their body celebrated anywhere else. I'm doing this work because I do see that kind of need not being fulfilled for a lot of people. And because I think that we're in some troubling times every day, open my social media and there's news of another terrible thing that's happening in this province, in this country, in the world. And so people are absolutely burning out and they're very much in need of affirming messages because they're just not getting it out of their day-to-day interactions. So yeah, it's definitely bittersweet. I think it reflects poorly on how we're doing as a society when simple messages of kindness become these intensely radical things because people are just so not used to them. What other kinds of things do you do beyond the affirmation art? My affirmation works is a very particular style, but my other work is actually very hyper-detailed, sort of surreal line work, really cartoony, kind of freaky. I put a lot of that into my paintings. They they kind of reflect that same, again, hyper-detailed, sort of underground comic sort of line work. That was one of the reasons I was really excited for the book was because I wanted a chance to showcase that art of mine that had kind of taken the backseat just because it's not as aesthetically pleasing or comforting to most people. So naturally, my line work is not as popular, but it's still extremely important to me. And I still consider it the same kind of feminist work in a lot of ways. My hyper-detailed line work portraits are an example of me trying to fight back against racist and misogynistic beauty standards by creating these pieces that are specifically and intentionally kind of grotesque and uncomfortable to look at. I personally call it confronting people with my ugliness and sort of forcing them to take it in the way that we've been forced to digest these misogynistic and colonial beauty standards. So doing that kind of work has been really good and I'm I'm trying to get more into painting now. It's a very difficult medium for me. I have not yet mastered it at all, so I'm trying to really get into that. Another series that I do is I do this fun little series called Rude Flowers, and I draw these really beautiful, super vivid, wonderful florals, and I pair them with these angry, radical sayings. I'm always writing. I try to be really, really vocal about the things that I care about on social media so I can get other people to care about it. I try to attend protests and make art for campaigns and things like that. Just trying to be as politically active and aware as I can be. Obviously, I'm not always necessarily out there on the front lines or something. I mean, I have my self-care. I take care of myself, too. I have artwork that has nothing to do with anything, and it's purely just like, oh, I feel like just, you know, drawing something pretty, and it doesn't necessarily have a purpose, but it makes me feel good. So I try to balance my time in that way just because you'll burn out real fast if you're always on. So I try to mix things up every now and then. Sometimes I just draw portraits of, like, pretty ladies. But even then, I'll try to show that they have, like, body hair or they have some cellulite or something like that just to kind of make it subversive, make it different, make it more inclusive, make people feel sane by it, you know? Tell me more about your poetry and about your book that came out late last year. A lot of people ask, like, oh, why did you go from art to poetry? But I was actually doing poetry for a lot longer than I was doing visual art. I used to write a lot in high school and had, like, attended a few poetry slams. 
And my creative writing kind of had to take a backseat when I was in the journalism program. But I had always kind of had this hope in mind that I would get a chance to actually put out a book of poetry. So I started to pursue that and I wanted to combine it with my illustrations. I wanted them to just be really casual and honest and accessible poetry, not overly abstract, not overly high-flown, very raw, at times comedic, or even grotesque. Because, you know, I grew up reading like a lot of white authors and read a lot of, you know, white coming-of-age stories, and I really wanted to include a narrative that was different and make it really honest and down-to-earth, just as I find that my artwork is inherently feminist. I do feel the same way about my poetry. And the book that I came out with is a combination of poetry and illustration. And not illustrations attached to the poems, but rather illustrations as standalone pieces that are informing the narrative of the book. Like my art, I try to keep my poems simple in a lot of ways, in language that people can understand. And there's definitely aspects of the poems that are also affirmative in a way. I mean, I'm not necessarily speaking directly to the reader the way that my artwork is speaking directly to the viewer, but there's definitely affirmative messages in it. And it begins with the body. I'm pretty open about some of my own mental health struggles and my own issues with my body and issues with my identity and how I learned to reconcile with these things and heal through them. So, yeah, in that way, it's quite similar to the artwork. What's it like trying to earn a living as a working artist and a poet? I mean, it's rough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's definitely rough surviving in essentially a gig economy. I still have like my random part-time job to get that guaranteed stable paycheck. So there's definitely a lot of challenges in it. But honestly, I can't really see myself working in an office or working nine to five. It's never a format suited me, and I don't think that I could do it without being really depressed about it. So as difficult as it is to constantly have to hustle and to constantly be looking for different freelance gigs and making it work, putting myself and my work out there as much as I can, and using social media as the tool to also get other paid opportunities. I can imagine that a lot of the spaces you end up in as a result of doing this work, whether that's real-life art spaces in Toronto or online spaces, aren't necessarily all that friendly to young women of color with strong opinions. How have you navigated that? I navigate it by aligning myself with other outspoken women of color and non-binary people of color. That's one of the ways that I do it. If you have a community of people who support you and uplift your voice, then you will not be drowned out. Especially, like, if I'm in a very white art space, I try to be loud and take up space for who I am. And instead of being shrunk down or self-conscious about being there, I mean, I'm also someone who doesn't have any formal arts training. I went to school for journalism. I didn't go to school for visual arts or for creative writing. So I'm self-taught. I've had to push my way into these spaces and take up space in them. And you kind of just have to keep doing that. As long as you have people in your corner who are absolutely rooting for you, and sharing your work and motivating you, then you get there. You know what I mean? You, you, you take up space happily and proudly when you have people in your corner telling you that you're worthy. Who are some of the other artists out there from whom you draw artistic and political inspiration? First and foremost, I'm going to say Vivek Shreya. 
she was my editor. If the book, it begins with the body, and she's a phenomenal artist. She's incredibly outspoken. You know, she's also a woman of color, and she inspires me. She motivates me. Other people, there's an artist in Toronto named Amrit Brar. She has a beautiful tarot deck series called The Marigold Tarot. She's an incredible South Asian artist. When I first met her, it was like super early days in my art career, and I still wasn't really calling myself an artist. I was very shy about it, and she was a wonderful there's people like Neff Lee, who's actually working with Eviction right now for her new book. She's, again, another amazing artist of color. Oh, man, there's so many. There is an artist online called, her Instagram handle is Basie Cyborg, and she is really cool. She's a Pakistani Muslim artist, and she's creating really amazing things that are sort of showcasing different types of South Asian aesthetics and being super body positive and really, really cool. There's an author. Her name is Manahil Bandakwala. She just came out with a book of poetry. Again, she's also a Pakistani Muslim poet, and her work is amazing and super vulnerable. Another one is Doyali Islam, who recently won the Battle of the Bard. She just came out with her book, Heft. Again, just, you know, being surrounded by all these amazing women of color, so many of them local artists, it's extremely empowering. I read their work and it absolutely means the world to me. Another amazing artist is Chief Ladybird, just an amazing Indigenous artist in Toronto. She's done murals. She's just done this incredible work that showcases her life, her experiences, her culture as an Indigenous woman. And her work is just really unapologetic and fierce, and I really, really like it. And talk a bit more about social media. Obviously, you've made great use of it to bring your work to people, but I can imagine it has some downsides as well. Social media is very two-sided for me. On one hand, I love it because I probably wouldn't have had an arts career without it. Social media was how I actually got people to look at my art and how my art has been able to go far and wide and how I've gotten paid opportunities. People have been like, oh, I saw your art. and We want you to make some art for this women's center or such and such. So on one hand, you know, social media has provided me with a lot of opportunities. And social media also comes with a certain degree of social capital, which I mean, it's not to be confused for actual financial capital. I have some social capital via my Instagram having a lot of followers, but the actual money that comes out of that is extremely limited. But the downside is, yes, my art has been stolen so many times, very much plagiarized, sold without my knowledge. Other people have profited off of it. That's a very difficult thing for me to reconcile with. And the other thing, too, is social media can also be an incredibly hostile place. I've absolutely had people in the alt-right dogpile on certain of my posts, harass me, send me terrible messages, things like that. But it's part of the reason why I continue to be very visible on social media. I'm not going to allow these hordes of frustrated, angry, isolated, disillusioned men to push me off of a platform. And if anything, it tells me why my work is so needed right now. The same can be said about life outside social media. Being an artist, being visible as a marginalized person, there's always risk. There's no real way to necessarily shield yourself from that risk. So for me, it's like, oh, continue making art, continue being loud. What kinds of spaces or infrastructure do you wish existed that might make it more possible to be a working artist making the kinds of work that you make? There's a lot of community spaces that are really important. And unfortunately, because of gentrification and condos buying up every 
plot of land they possibly can in the city, we're definitely seeing an erasure in those spaces that are necessary for creators. For example, there was like a vegan punk cafe named D Bistro that's gone. TKBO, which is an amazing trans-owned business with my artwork actually in the front window at the moment, will be shutting down soon, again, because of the enormous, enormous rent costs. It's difficult finding spaces in the city for people to be able to congregate as a community for free to share art, to talk about issues. So I'm very thankful for the spaces that do exist. I'm thankful for spaces like Glad Day Bookshop in the village that has readings and art markets and drag shows and parties and different ways for community to come together and support each other. But we're absolutely seeing this kind of stuff shut down. So we're seeing these community spaces getting erased and we really need to start reclaiming public community space again. Stepping back a little from your own work and thinking more broadly, what are some of the key ways that you think movements for social change should and can inform art, and vice versa, how art can contribute to broader movements to make change? I think that art can really contribute to social change in the way that art has become such an easy thing to distribute because of social media. Because of things like Instagram and Twitter, you make radical art with a message for social change, that can go far and wide. And it can inform a lot of people, or at least inspire them to become more informed and educated about the issues. So I think that art has massive potential to galvanize people. And we've seen that throughout history, the way that different types of art have informed or been very visible in different social movements. And again, obviously, social movements also inform art. A lot of people create art because of social movements that they've been inspired by. And these things feed into each other and they grow and they get bigger and they attract more people to that movement. These things absolutely feed off each other. They always have throughout history, but now is an especially pivotal time in that because of social media, because of that easy access and easy distribution of images. You alluded earlier to the very depressing political times that we live in. What gives you hope in such times? All these kids doing the walkouts and protesting and being so vocal. I'm like, wow, this new generation is so aware. They know things that I did not know at that age. So it absolutely gives me hope. Other things that give me hope are the artists that I surround myself with. They're still making amazing work. They're continuing to do radical things. They're continuing to carve out spaces for marginalized creators. And that's extremely hopeful. If people are still creating, if people are still vocal, if people are forcing themselves into the spaces that have historically neglected and suppressed them, then we definitely have hope, you know? You have been listening to my interview with Hannah Shafi, also known as Frizzkid. You can find her at Frizzkid Art on Instagram and at Hannah Shafi on Twitter and her book, It Begins with the Body, is published by Bookhug Press. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>